Welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Friday, July 12th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Yang releases his Q2 numbers, and I will actually tell you about them this time. Gillibrand explains white privilege in her own words. Sanders visits BET's Black Coffee. Gravel launches a live donor count website. And some exciting podcast news you'll want to stick around for. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, Andrew Yang released his Q2 numbers yesterday. I actually meant to include those in the show yesterday, but oops, I kind of missed that when doing the edit, so here we are. All right, Yang raised $2.8 million in the quarter. That puts him exactly even with Senator Michael Bennett and way ahead of Montana Governor Steve Bullock. And if the leaks are to be believed, it puts him way, way ahead of former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper. Yang's campaign said that 99.6% of its donors gave less than $200, though we did not get numbers for cash on hand or the number of donors or an average donation. We will see those next week after the FEC deadline. Now, there's a little more to the Yang numbers that I want to mention today. Here's the thing. Andrew Yang has been in this race for 613 days. He announced his candidacy on November 6, 2017. The only major candidate who's been in this thing longer is John Delaney, who announced way back in July of 2017. My point here is that we can use this new figure from Yang to get a sense of his fundraising momentum. Not only does he have Q1 receipts, he also has five previous quarters worth of receipts before that, going back to Q4 2017. So let's dig into that just a bit. In all of 2017 and 2018, Yang brought in a total of $659,000. He also spent nearly all of that, closing out the period with only about $30,000 in cash on hand. Then, in Q1 of this year, he raised just under $1.8 million. So, to bring in $2.8 million in Q2, it's a healthy increase and shows clear momentum. I'm very curious to see what the relative Q1 to Q2 numbers look like for the other candidates who are in the single-digit millions club, which is most of them. And a quick note on those Q2 numbers. The deadline for official FEC filing is midnight on July 15th, which is this coming Monday. Now, it's always confusing to talk about which day a given midnight falls on. In this case, it's the end of the day on Monday in the Eastern Time Zone. So, presumably, we will have official FEC releases on Tuesday, or perhaps Wednesday at the latest. In other words, the middle of next week will have lots of money talk, and I apologize in advance. At a campaign event in Youngstown, Ohio yesterday, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand made some remarks that ended up going viral on Twitter. She answered a question from a woman holding an infant, and the question had to do with the issue of white privilege. Let me read the entire question, and I want to do this because in most of the media coverage, the beginning of the question has been chopped off. Okay, so the woman asks, quote, I hear you saying there is a lot of divisive language coming from Republicans, coming from Trump, and that we are looking for ways to blame each other. But the Democratic Party loves to throw around terms like white privilege. This is an area that, across all demographics, has been depressed because of the loss of its industry and an opioid crisis. What do you have to say to people in this area about so-called white privilege? End quote. So that was the full question, and you will hear a portion of that in the clip that Gillibrand posted on Twitter. 
Now, one quick note, the audio on this was super rough, so I did clean it up to get rid of a bunch of stuff like hum and bumps and stuff like that, just to try to make it easier to hear. You can still hear stuff like phones ringing and camera shutters clicking and people's forks and knives and stuff, but I think you can make out the content just fine. All right, listen in. This is an area that across all demographics has been depressed because of the loss of its industry and an opioid crisis. What do you have to say to people in this area about so-called white privilege? I understand families in this community are suffering deeply. I fully hear from you and folks that I've talked to just in the few minutes I've been here that it is devastating when you've lost your job, you lost your ability to provide for your kids, that when you've put 20, 30 years into a company that all of a sudden doesn't care about you and won't call you back and gives you a day to move. That is not acceptable and not okay. So no one in that circumstance feels privileged on any level. But that's not what that conversation is about. What is it about? I'm gonna explain. What that conversation is about is when a community has been left behind for generations because of the color of their skin. When you've been denied job after job after job because you're black or because you're brown. So institutional racism is real. It doesn't take away your pain or your suffering. It's just a different issue. Your suffering is just as important as a black or brown person suffering, but to fix the problems that are happening in a black community you need far more transformational efforts that are targeted for real racism that exists every day. So if your son is 15 years old and smokes pot, he smokes pot just as much as the black boy in his neighborhood and the Latino boy in his neighborhood, but that black and brown boy is four times more likely to be arrested. And when he's arrested, that, criminal justice system might require him to pay bail, 500 bucks. That kid does not have 500 bucks. He might not be able to make bail. If he's an adult with a child at home and he's a single parent, if he's thrown in jail, no one is with his child. Doesn't matter what he says, I have to go home, I have a child at home, he's only 12, what am I gonna do? It doesn't matter. Imagine as a parent how you would feel so helpless. That's institutional racism. Your son will likely not have to deal with that because he is white. So when someone says white privilege, that's all they're talking about, is that his whiteness will mean that a police officer might give him a second chance. It might mean that he doesn't get incarcerated because he has just smoked a joint with his girlfriend. It might mean that he won't have to post post bail. It means he might be able to show up to work the next day and not lose his job and not be in the cycle of poverty that never ends. That's all it is. So that's where the clip posted by Gillibrand on Twitter ends, but that actually leaves out an important part of the ending of what she actually said. I want to read that for you here from a separate transcript because it actually completes the thought, and it brings it fully back to the context of the woman who asked the question. This is what Gillibrand said directly after the end of the clip above. Quote, But it doesn't mean that you don't deserve my voice lifting up your challenge. It also doesn't mean that black and brown people are left to fight these challenges on their own. A white woman like me, who is a senator and running for president of the United States, has to lift up their voice just as much as I would lift up yours. That's all it means. It doesn't take away from you at all. It just means we have to recognize suffering in all its forms and solve it in each place intentionally and with knowledge about what we are up against. End quote. 
Now, I include this in the show for two reasons. First, we frankly haven't heard much on this show from Gillibrand, and this moment is absolutely the biggest thing I've seen from her in quite a while. Second, this exchange, combined with Buttigieg's Douglas plan we discussed yesterday, shows the importance of white candidates addressing issues of race, in conversations with voters regardless of the voters' race. In this case, it's a white woman talking to another white woman, but this was a room that included people of color, and it's a country that includes a diverse set of voters. Any candidate, regardless of their race, needs to actually understand these issues and be able to articulate what the challenge really is. And Gillibrand did a solid job here. The Primary Ride Home is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes covering all kinds of skills. We're talking everything from business to gardening to creative writing, you name it. So whether you've got a passion project, you just need some knowledge to get through, or you're challenging yourself to move outside your comfort zone by learning a new skill, Skillshare has classes for you. So listen up. Before I was a podcast host, I was a writer and mostly a writer of nonfiction. On Skillshare, I came across a class called Creative Nonfiction, Write Truth with Style. Now, the thing about this class is that it's taught by Susan Orlean, who was one of my writing heroes. She wrote The Orchid Thief and a ton of other great stuff. In this class, Susan Orlean takes you, yes, you, and teaches you how to report, write, and edit a story. You literally cannot get this anywhere else. She is awesome. It is awesome and she can teach you to write awesomely. So, join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for you. Get two free months. That is correct. Skillshare is offering Primary Ride Home listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com PRH. Again, that is Skillshare.com PRH to start your two free months today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, so last month, Senator Cory Booker went on BET's show Black Coffee, and I played you some clips from that. Now, yesterday, Senator Bernie Sanders stopped by the show as well. This week, it was hosted by Mark Lamont Hill and Gia Peppers. It was a 35-minute sit-down with a typical black coffee mix of fun and issues. They started out by playing a game where Sanders had to pick his favorite songs from a list of options, and they ended with a similar game about movies. There's a link in the show notes to the whole thing, and it's really fun to watch. Now look, here's why I like seeing politicians on shows like Black Coffee. This is Sanders on a couch. You know what I mean? Like, he's in a room with a very small number of people, and it gives you some of the vibe of what it would be like to actually, you know, sit in a room with Sanders on a couch. Now, yeah, he is in campaign mode, he is talking about issues, but there's a kind of body language you just don't get in other kinds of settings. In some cases, this allows an almost intimate look at what the candidates are all about. Here's a clip from the show that jumped out at me. Peppers speaks first. Listen in. And 
speaking of, you know, criminal injustices that we always have to face, mass incarceration is a big problem in our communities. Yep. Um, and there's been so many times where we wanted to get people out. They, we were talking about yesterday how oh, people just don't have bail money. People just don't have the access to resources that will uh, level out the playing field. So what are some of the ways that Good. we can fix the mass incarceration Good. that our communities always okay. have to I'm working deal with? with uh, you guys know Sean King. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Sean has been active on the campaign and, you know, he has been very helpful in guiding me on these areas. You raised one issue, which, again, you know, I'm a United States senator. I should have known this. I didn't know this until a couple of years ago. And I wonder how many of the viewers know this. And that is today. This is unbelievable. We got about two million people in jail in America, which is more than any other country on Earth, yeah. including China, if you can believe it. OK, 20 percent of those people, 400,000 people are in jail right now. Do you know what their crime is? Uh, is it weed, marijuana? No, their crime is that they're poor. Oh, they mm. have enough they money. Can't, that's what you said. Mm -hmm. They don't have cash bail. Mm. I think it's actually 80%. No, mm. it's, it's 20% of, uh, of, of, of 2 million people. It's about 400,000 people, okay. to the best of my knowledge. Okay. okay. So these are people who are arrested, not convicted of anything. Okay, they're not convicted, but they can't get the 500 bucks they need to get out of jail. That's insane. That's like a debtor's prison. Right. You would not think we have that in 2019. We're going to end cash bail. Okay? Completely. Yes, absolutely. There are ways to make sure that people come back for their trial, and you don't have to keep them rotting in a jail cell. Okay, so that's number one. That significantly reduces the jail population, like 20% tomorrow. Second of all, most importantly, I think, we have to ask why we have so many people in jail. And a lot of reasons for that. But one of the main reasons is we are not investing in our young people. All right, we're not investing in job training and we're not investing in education. And we leave too many kids falling through the cracks, go out on the street and say, the only way I can make money is doing something illegal. All right? And they end up in jail. We can have a profound impact as a nation. And we are a rich enough nation to be able to do that. In which we are going to say loudly and proudly that no child will fall through the crack. We're not going to let you drop out of school. We're not going to let you just wander and end up in jail. We are going to train you to get the jobs that you need. If you need you know, mental health counseling, we're going to provide that to you. But you ain't going to fall through the crack and see your life destroyed. Okay? Mm -hmm. That is enormously important. So we invest in jobs and education rather than jails and incarceration. We don't need more jails. Mm -hmm. All right? But we do need to make sure that our kids are getting the education and the job training Okay, so I do want to fact check one issue in that discussion, which is around the actual number of people who are currently imprisoned in the U.S. because they can't make bail. As far as I can tell, the Sanders number is basically correct. According to a December 2017 article by Udi Ofer of the ACLU, quote, Close to half a million people are in jail today awaiting trial, many of them incarcerated because they are too poor to afford cash bail. End quote. That lines up pretty well with the Sanders figure of about 400,000 people being locked up because they can't make bail. For more, check out the show notes. There is a link to the whole Black Coffee episode on YouTube, as well as a partial transcript of some highlights from BET. Now, Mike Gravel's campaign has been mentioned quite a bit on the show in recent days. That's because he's right on the bubble of hitting the 65,000 donor threshold to qualify under one of the two sets of rules for the July DNC primary debates. His campaign has now put together a live donor counting website, somehow, which shows a countdown to the 65,000 donor threshold. As I speak this, Gravel needs just over 2,500 more donors by the end of day on July 16th. 
Now, here's the thing. Even if Gravel makes that donor number, the DNC's tie-breaking rules for how it will allocate the 20 spots on the debate stage might make it hard for him to get there anyway. To qualify at all to be in the pool of potential debaters, a given candidate needs to reach 1% in three different qualifying polls, or get that 65,000 donor number, or both. Having both makes you safe, at least right now. The problem comes in when we look at tiebreakers. The DNC prefers people who have polling numbers when it comes to tiebreakers. Right now, or at least in the latest report I could find, Gravel has only one poll that gives him 1%. That might be why the Gravel campaign is launching an attack ad against Joe Biden set to air tonight on MSNBC. That strikes me as a last-ditch effort to get Gravel's name ID up so that he just barely might meet the polling criteria in time. Maybe, but probably not. If he met both the polling and fundraising criteria, he'd be in very good shape. But right now, like as I record this, he has met neither threshold. The other path for Gravel to get into those debates, assuming he does get the donors, would be for some more candidates to drop out. If, for some reason, more candidates like Swalwell, who did have that 1% polling already, were to drop out right away, that could open a window for Gravel to swoop in, in the event that there are no tiebreakers because not enough candidates qualified under either method. So, this is still a long shot for Gravel, and we shall see next week whether he can thread this particular needle. Last up this week, I have a little podcast news that I think you're going to like. We are renaming this show to the Election Ride Home. We will have a new logo and that new name starting on Monday. The show otherwise stays the same. I'm still your host, and you will automatically stay subscribed just like you are now. You will see that new logo soon, though, so be prepared for that. Okay, so why the change? Well, it's pretty simple. There are two factors. First, this was going to happen eventually anyway. Starting in the very first days of this podcast, listeners would ask me, hey, what happens when the primaries end? Do you just, like, stop? And the answer was no. We change the name of the show and we keep covering the general election. But that question keeps coming up, so we figured we'd get a jump on that now by changing the name on Monday rather than a year from now. Second, we're starting to see a bunch of interesting elections popping up outside the presidential primary, but heavily related to it like the Senate race in Kentucky and the Senate race in Texas and, well, most of the Senate races, really. We've already seen one presidential primary candidate drop out to pursue a House race. That's going to happen a lot more real soon, and some of those races will be worth watching. I'm making room for that on this show, though obviously the primary is the key story now, and it's going to stay that way for a very long time. So the deal here is, same show, same host, same format, same great primary coverage, same great taste, new look. Just like on your favorite food when they change the box art. When you hear from me on Monday, you will be hearing the election ride home. Well, that is it for one more episode of the primary ride home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. It's a beautiful day in Portland and probably a beautiful weekend, so my yarden task for the weekend is to rebuild some garden boxes. That is possible now that they actually receive some sun again and we've removed a bunch of brambles and other garbage that was kind of junking them up. So, I'm going to do my best not to cut myself trying to get the lumber into shape. If, and this is a big if, I manage to complete the project this weekend, I'll post some before and after photos on Twitter. In any case, I'll let you know when it happens and we can swap garden photos. As always, thanks for listening and I will talk to y'all on Monday. 